Hello, and welcome to Smooth Scaling, the podcast from Insight Partners that helps revenue leaders scale their software companies at every stage of growth. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, and today I'm speaking once again to Anne Neer, Vice President of Revenue Operations at Cockroach Labs, the creator of CockroachDB, a cloud-native distributed SQL database that helps app developers scale fast, survive disaster, and thrive everywhere. Last time we spoke, we went in-depth on pipeline management and the importance of simplicity at scale. And today we're going to talk about another area that Anne has worked on that stands out in her mind as having a big impact on revenue performance. So Anne, you want to dive into transaction management? Yes. And it's been one of the most fundamental areas of my career from Cisco you know, on through to multiple startups, pre and post IPO, preparing other companies for exit. This has been one of the most most valuable and important areas in revenue and revenue operations. And when I say transaction management, just to clarify, it is, and we can peel apart a couple of the areas, but it is deal desk and what some people might call order management or sort of order flow or booking. It's sort of coming into an ops team and saying, how do we, how do we manage the transactions, you know, kind of end to end, regardless of the type of customer, you know, the type of transaction what is in place that will help that flow be the most efficient? Having worked in a lot of different businesses, right? I mean, I think of Cisco as being extremely channel-centric business, right? And then you've worked other places that I'm sure were much more direct. Now you're working in a, in a PLG motion. I would assume now you've seen all kinds of, of different types of transactions. Which motion felt the most complex to you? Yeah, it's a super question. I would just say a direct motion, you know, has probably been the most complex in that. And, and I say that from a kind of a, an early, a younger company perspective, because RevOps teams in sort of these the transaction structure likely doesn't have a lot of process in place early on, because the most important thing is you're winning the business. So what tends to happen in an ops context and support of revenue teams is there's just not a lot there. So from a direct perspective, even though you're building a lot of that from scratch, you're with a mature channel that you're selling through. Whereas direct deals at an early stage company, you're you're just you really are architecting it, you know, from start to finish. So that's where I think the complexity comes in. So let's say that you're a founder and you know, maybe you've got a head of sales at this point, maybe you've got a, a head of revenue operations, but you know, even that revenue operations person may not have depth in deal desk, right? They may have managed people who did deal desk, but they may not have done it themselves. What does the first deal desk hire look like? What what knowledge should you expect? How do you pick the right person? I'll use a couple of examples. Your first hire in deal desk does have some experience, so you don't you want someone who's got some who's got some muscle, who has done the role in in various ways. You know, maybe wants to build, you know, and be part of kind of putting their putting their handprints on something, but is more of a generalist because it's not like a, an early, you know, your first deal desk hire isn't going to solely focus on, okay, I'm going to focus on pricing and commercials and deal structure, but I'm not going to do anything else. No, that person is going to go sit out with a rep side by side and say, tell me what you're trying to do. Let's structure this and, and you know, get in place with what makes the most sense all the way to doing the paperwork, all the way to getting the approvals, all the way to booking the transaction, you know, and in, in most cases in, in early companies working really closely with finance just to sort of make sure everything works end to end. So it's, you do want some good commercial judgment and some commercial experience, but you're almost looking for a generalist who can kind of usher the business as one of your first hires to anchor 
And then you kind of hire and specialize and differentiate as you go. And ideally, I mean, I've I've done this multiple times where that generalist or that kind of first hire, you know, ultimately is someone who wants to manage potentially, you know, wants to grow a team. So maybe wants to be a lead, wants to grow a team and knows that on the horizon as they build this engine, you know, they can specialize sort of more and more down the way, but that specialization is not happening day one, right? Like you're wearing five different hats and 10 different pairs of shoes. I also assume one one mistake in a first deal desk hire is somebody who worked at a large company who already had CPQ in place and they're <laughs> following the process, running the engine. This is a person who there is not going to be CPQ. There's for, not going to be CPQ. Could be a year or two, because if you even just think about the implementation time of CPQ, that takes time and you just may not have enough deals to justify it. So sneaker net, uh, as you were describing, <laughs> is is a very effective approach. On the topic of sneaker net, one of the things you mentioned is this deal desk person, yes, handling the paperwork, but you actually mentioned running around to get approvals. How do you draw the line between what the rep should be doing for getting approvals versus the, the deal desk person? It will definitely vary in the sales organization that you're in the culture that you have and just, you know, what bones might even be in place. So I've been in, I've been in multiple different settings where the sales organization is pretty commercially savvy. It's early stage, but you've got some folks in there that have, you know, sort of done these deals before and reps are wanting to get, you know, sort of trained up and can go quarterback their deals side by side with deal desk, but, you know, can go out and quarterback. I've also been in situations where that's just not the case. You know, it would it would take more time for for the seller to sort of put it together to, you know, understand kind of where to go X and Y. And so that deal desk or that generalist person, you know, goes out and before you get CPQ and approvals and all that fancy stuff, you know, goes out and drives those approvals. So I've, I've been in both those situations. I tend to land where what is most efficient for sellers because every minute of Every hour of every day of every week, we want sellers to be, you know, out with customers, selling, moving the transaction along, et cetera. So anything that would feel administrative, I would probably err on the side of deal desk sort of being that quarterback or some combination of that. But again, it just, it varies on, it varies on the sales culture and the expertise for sure. Yeah. And I'm, it's, we often talk so much about left brain stuff. There's so much right brain here that the rep has to trust the deal desk to not mess things up, right? That's yeah, their fear, yeah, right? And yeah. to go f- to do it fast and high quality. Speaking of the fast and high quality, I imagine you've spent some time on quote to cash optimization, right? So yes, that so that doesn't take a ton of time. Is there are there any levers that that you've seen as being low hanging fruit for how to speed that process up? Yeah, 100%. I'll use a couple of examples. I'll do two. Set up your approvals to be as fast and as streamlined as possible, and not to be duplicative or not to kind of take a deal through a cycle again, through a cycle again, because deals will change even in fast moving, higher velocity transactions, you know, it's things, things will shift and change and you don't want to keep taking something through an approval cycle. So depending on your CPQ solution that you've selected, turn on those features and capabilities like advanced approvals, where if it's already gone through a chain once and that approval, you know, that approver's already done it, you know, only take it back to them. Like those things can be, you know, wildly efficient. Even if you don't think you're going to use them a ton at the start, do it now with an eye for scale later. The other one is where you've agreed to, and this 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 will probably be more to companies that 
that do, you know, more custom contracts or more custom pricing, but where you've agreed with an account or partner, depending where you've agreed on pricing, document that and build it into your system. Because I don't, you don't want to keep taking an order form or a quote through a process where we've already agreed it's 20%. You've now submitted an order form for 20%. Why are we monkeying around with sort of taking this through a cycle? Just bypass if it follows these sort of contractual requirements and move it more efficiently along. Is that on the individual deal basis or it's like you went through this whole rigmarole of negotiating something that's a little non-standard? Does what you're saying also apply to codifying that as one of the pre-approved yeah, exceptions? Definitely. And do that at the account level. So so regardless of the opportunity or quote, it, it can sort of read back to the account and say, you know, with this account, we've always agreed on 30% or 20% or whatever it is. If that order form comes in that or under, just bypass, you know, bypass the approvals. You get a lot of legs from that. You, you get some good runway from those types of efficiencies. The other things I've done are, you know, from a quote perspective, make special terms that are, that are very repeatable, accessible quickly. So for example, if you, if you agree to a standard sort of price hold, you know, price lock or price hold language, maybe for one, you know, one consecutive renewal, or maybe during the term or something like that, you know, it's stating the obvious, we'd all write out a playbook and make sure that that's in there, but automate that, right? So it's those things like the, they will, they will seem small in places, but you string together two or three or four of those efficiencies and you, you start moving, you know, your deals much more quickly through the funnel or through the process. Yeah. With respect to the efficiencies, there's lots of folks talking about the consumerization, right? Of B2B SaaS and B2B sales. Yeah. In my mind, one of the ways to take advantage of the consumerization of B2B is if I want to sign up for a consumer digital service, I click accept. I have no choice but to click accept, right? LinkedIn for an individual user license is not going to negotiate the terms and conditions with me, right? So is it a pipe dream to believe that for an increasing number of contracts, it's a reasonable method of doing business to just say, these are the terms, period? Or is the competitive environment such that you can't get away with that? I would err on the side of that you can. And I've seen this in, in some of my prior roles where you want you that consumerization of the process, you want the lowest barrier to entry to get into the product, to start using the product, to start you know, being billed for the product. You want nothing in the way of consumption. So I think SaaS in all of its dimensions has really driven, I think, this home definitely from a consumer side, but then from different SaaS models, really enabling this or having the potential to enable nothing in the way, right? I want to get in. I want to use the product. I want a very, I want an exceptional customer experience in my use of and value that I'm getting from the software. And if you've built a product that is delightful, that is creating value, that drives adoption and consumption, like you find you find a use case. Okay, I found another one. Now I found another one. Now I found another one. The fact that you've had to click through terms and make the the selling motion a lower bar, I think is dwarfed by the experience that you're creating in the product. You're not wrong that the barrier to contracts and to things like that can be minimized 
Yeah. Now we hear more and more about the customer effort score, right, as an alternative to NPS to customer satisfaction. And and it's it's everything, right? It's it is your pre-sales experience, it is your experience with the product, it's your CS, it's, it's your CX experience. And and it also is your transaction experience. If you have to go through a lot of headaches and rigor morale to to just do business, right? It's am I easy to do business with? And I think customer friendly, easy terms is a big way to get there. It's a big way to get there. And it's something that that I talk about on my teams and has been increasingly part of my career as I've been spending, you know, many years now in SaaS of every aspect of the customer's journey has to delight. Like we always, we think about the product has to be great and, you know, get the value. And when you're in there, you know, you're, you're able to do what you need to do in the product, but every aspect of the service must be delightful. And that's from, you know, swiping your first card or, you know, starting up with your trial all the way to an invoice. I mean, that's all part of a CX experience and have spent a fair amount of time connecting that dot with operations, because I think that's where the gold is at, because the world is going more to what you're describing, not traditional enterprise software, downloadable on bare metal and all of the commercials and the structures that were around that we're heading and are heading to a much different world. Well, I love that in less than 20 minutes, we went from the very nitty gritty of transaction <laughs> management to delightful customer experiences as pertains to transaction management. So I think as that's pertains. A, like, yes. see how we, we brought that all around to the full circle. As pertains. <laughs> Well, again, thank you for being on not just one, but two episodes and sharing your wisdom on both pipeline analytics and transaction management. And thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thank you for listening to the Smooth Scaling Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. For more information about the topics we discussed today, check out the Insight Partners blog at insightpartners.com slash blog. See you next time.